to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're still in the Psalms, man. We're a little bit um, past halfway, and so uh, we're starting today with Psalm 82. And Psalm 82 is a tricky one. So if you read today and you were thinking like, man, like how do you make sense of this? Um, it's a tricky one, and it's been misinterpreted a lot. Um, it's just, yeah, kind of popular for misinterpretation, if you will. So it says this, God stands in the divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Provide justice for the, justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. All right, so one of the reasons it's been tricky is because in the first verse it talks about God standing in this assembly of the gods. Now, on the surface, um it can seem that this text uh teaches polytheism, meaning that there are many gods that there is more than one god. Um but that's not the case. And then later it'll say verse 6, I said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. So some people will say, no, it's not just teaching that um, there are many gods, but this teaching that humans are gods, especially because Jesus picks this up in John 10. And basically he quotes this passage um, when he's speaking. So basically what's going on here is this. All right. So God is speaking to the divine council. So the divine council is basically these heavenly beings, right, that, got, that the Old Testament will call Elohim. Uh, which which can be translated as gods, but this is just a, a divine council, uh, divine council, heavenly beings that help carry out God's will on the earth. So we talked about this a little bit in Job one. Uh, they come up in Genesis six, right? But it's just these heavenly beings, and they carry out, yeah, God's will. And basically, other texts in the Pentateuch, uh, like Deuteronomy thirty two, will say that God gave different angelic beings responsibility to watch over other nations that are not Israel, right? And see to it that they would spearhead the administering of justice in those nations. And so God is getting mad at them and saying, you guys have failed to do that, right? You failed to do that. And that's why he talks about, you know, you guys will die like humans, right? So in other words, you guys will be judged as well. Why? Because you guys have not carried out justice. And if you look at the, the text in the original language, you see this theme of justice and that same root come up over and over, shafat, right? This theme of justice comes up over and over. And at the end, it says, rise up, God, judge the earth for all the nations belong to you. Literally, all the nations are your inheritance. The thing we can take away from this psalm is this. It's super, super you know, complicated and dense, you have to think about it. But the things we can take away are this. God cares about justice everywhere, <laughs> right? God doesn't just care about justice that goes on in the church. He mean he cares about justice that goes on outside of the church. And I don't mean that like spatially, like, right? Like Not like in the church house, but like outside of his people. He cares about justice amongst the world. Why? Because the nations, there are people in the world who have not yet come to him, they will come to him. One. Two, right, um, they're all made in the image of God, right? So God cares about the oppressed and the needy, right, even though they may not be his. 
right? So that's what we can take from this psalm. Usually over, uh, yeah, misinterpreted. But yeah, Psalm 83 comes. And I love the Bible because it speaks in language that overlaps with real life. So this is a prayer by the psalmist against Israel's enemies. And the crazy thing is the names of the enemies, right, help you know where they descend from and helps you make sense of kind of the Bible as a whole. So he talks about God, do not keep silent. Do not be deaf, God, right? Do not be quiet. See how your enemies make an uproar, all this stuff. And then he say, then he says in verse four, they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation so that Israel's name will no longer be remembered. For they have conspired with one mind. They form an alliance against you, the tents of Edom, Ishmaelites, Moab, and the Hagrites, Gibal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, right? All of these nations. And it's so crazy because if you read the Pentateuch, and Joshua and Judges, the enemies geographically that he names are those that surround Israel. So they're not just enemies randomly that he's spewing off. One, they formed an alliance. They've all come together. They formed a super team <laughs> to come together and defeat them. But also they surround them geographically. If you live in Georgia like me, that would be like Israel being Atlanta and the nations were like Jonesboro. Right, South Side, Decatur, East Side, right, Douglasville, West Side, Alpharetta North, like all of them coming together and coming against the people who are in Atlanta, right? So they had them teamed in to defeat little old Israel, right? And this is applies to us because there are people groups, there are people who would team up and persecute the church from all sides, right? We we get it, we get it from all sides a lot of times as the people of God and this ain't new, ain't nothing new under the sun, right? And once again, they don't want them to just hush up or be taught a lesson or just be quiet. They want them to be wiped out. But I love what he says then. He says, yo, may they know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. Whenever the phrase most high, once again, is used, it means that God is sovereign, right? God is sovereign over all of the earth and the peoples of the earth can do nothing to thwart his plans or his people. 84 comes. And this is one of actually one of my favorite Psalms. Uh, I wish I had the luxury of going more time on it. But, man, it's just longing for worship, right? And so the psalmist will come out and say, man, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. This term for dwelling place in the first um, verse is the same phrase that is used for the tabernacle after the Israelites came out of Egypt um, that Moses helped construct. So he's literally wanting to come and worship God. Verse four will say, man, how happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually? And the main thing the psalm is trying to point at is that blessing and happiness and well-being are found in the context of of us worshiping God, right? And this part where he says, you know, the courts of the Lord, right? I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord in verse two. This was the place where Israel would really literally come. They would come to the courts, right? The priests, the high priests would go in the temple and tabernacle and perform their work, but the, the people would come to the courts and worship, right? And in a season like this where we haven't been able to gather and worship the Lord, at least the church I attend, right? Um, and come into his presence, some of us feel bereft of joy, right? And that is not by happenstance, right? I'm here to take, that is not by happenstance. Some of us feel homesick, even though we are at home, technically, in our cribs, right? We feel homesick at home, 
Because, right, it's it's a fact that, yeah, our souls are most satisfied when we're worshiping the God who saved it, right? And I know I do, right? I know I feel homesick because we are, right? We're, we're homesick because we want to be where we were meant to be, and that's with God. And so this psalmist is just crying out, right? And even though he can't come to worship, he says at the end, yeah, verse 12, happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. And so regardless of if, is it of if uh, we can come and worship God now, we still trust him because we know that one day that is our ultimate yeah, destiny. So 85 comes and he says, Lord, you show favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave your people's guilt. You covered all their sin. You, you withdrew all your fury. You turned from burning your anger. So the first few verses show us all past tense verbs in Psalm 85 and what God has done for his people. He forgave. He showed them favor. He covered their sin. He restored them. Now, the psalmist is calling on him to do that very thing now, right? And the cor- corporate nature of the psalm stands out as the psalmist is crying out for the sins that have been committed by them and asking for the Lord's grace, right? And it shows one of the things I love about the corporate psalms um, uh, in Scripture is that it shows that we all have a responsibility and a role to play in the moral ethos of God's people, right? It's the community's responsibility. We said that it's the community's responsibility to see to it that the community remains faithful, right? And he asked for God, like, yo, man, don't abandon your displeasure. Like, man, please don't, please don't do away with us, right? Revive us. According to your faithful love, we need salvation, and as Christians, we read this psalm, and what we do, right, in this situation of our own sin, we plead the blood, so to speak, right? We go back to the cross, right? When we begin to see the stains of our own sinfulness, we have the privilege. <laughs> we have the privilege of remembering not just, yeah, Israel's history, but Jesus's history, right? What Jesus did in history, remembering the washing of the blood of Jesus, right? And verse 12, he says, yo, also, the Lord will provide what is good and our land will yield its crops. The people of God um, in the Old Testament were tied to a physical land. uh, And that was part of the covenant. That was part of God's blessing. So remember, you know, the promise to Abraham was for offspring and that that his offspring would leave Egypt and inherit a land. So um, salvation and blessing and favor for them and the abundance of crops in the land uh, was, was tied to, yeah being in a specific place in a specific time. What happens in the, with the Old Testament and the New Testament, it gets spiritualized and universalized, right? That's one thing to remember as we walk through the Old Testament. You see these physical blessings. A lot of things get spiritualized and universalized. Not all of it, but things like salvation especially. So in other words, now the fruit that was abundant in the land becomes the bearing of fruit that is now present in his people in, the, in this healing of the land will one day be the healing of the world, right? So, in other words, what the psalmist is saying is this. He recounts their sins, and he remembers the goodness of God. And God wants us not to just remember, but our remembrance should lead us to repentance, right? Our remembrance of God's good favor in the midst of our sin should lead us to repentance. And that repentance and the seeking and yearning of God should lead to the seeking and yearning for the restoration of all things when God makes all things 
new. Let me pray. Father, we pray today that uh, we will remember that you love justice, that you are sovereign over the whole earth, that even if we can't worship you right now at church, we can worship you wherever because you are uh, you are the temple and we are the temple and we have you with us. But we know that one day uh, we'll be with you forever as we are.